Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. That's husband. We once got an email saying, I don't know what the last word is that you're saying in the introduction. <laughs> really? Yes. Interesting. It's husband. Husband. Um, hello, kittens. Hello, Lorenzo. Hello. How are you? I'm wonderful. Fantastic. The house is full of oh Christmas out. Yes. And if you check our Instagram, you'll see updates every day on all our lovely yes. little jingle so, jangle. Some of you asked. And yes, we're doing ornament of the day. Thanks for asking anyway. And uh, yeah, we love doing it because we're, yes. we're all about Christmas here. Having a big cookie exchange party in a week. So yes. that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. I will be doing my, it's actually my recipe. Mm. My chocolate orange spice crinkle cookies. Yes, I will put it on the site. Um, and the cats love our holiday, you know. Oh, they love it. Decorations they, um, and everything. We yeah. have one holiday throw quilt that we honestly have had for about 20 years. And it is we got it at Target. Or it's Target. really cute. It is cute, but it's it's not it's, it's not exciting, but our cats go nuts. nuts yeah. I mean, some cats are long gone who Aww. went nuts for this. And um it's funny, Mew Mew is our oldest cat and when we put it out, I swear, because we we put it away, mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to put it away every January because the cats love sleeping on it so much. But this is why we still have it after twenty years, and it's why all six cats have had the opportunity to sleep on it. So we do put it away. And I, when we took it out last week, I swear there was like a look of recognition on her face, yeah. like, "Oh, it's back! It's back!" And she loves curling but up. But you that have thing. to understand, Mew 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 will stand next to you and watch you do any any house chore. Like she we was, just talked about this last yeah, week, yeah, where yeah. she watches She'll, me buff the floors and she will watch. She's our regional manager, yeah, making sure you're doing it right. And uh, back in the '80s, my mom bought um, these two handcrafted stuffed. It's really not my thing. Um, stuffed, I guess you would call them dolls. One is a French lumberjack and the other one is Santa Claus. They're matching. They're part of a set. They have these big wool beards. They're very old, right? They're from the eighties. And, um, we, I took them when, you know, both of my parents passed and we all divided up all the Christmas stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'll take them. Because they remind me of my mom. They're right. not. They're not really a thing. I would. I, I wouldn't buy little stuffed men for my Christmas. But um, <laughs> in our. But I actually said that they want. They wind up looking like us. I the know. lumberjack looks like you. I we know. both have beards now. I know. You have a black beard. I have a white beard. So you look like the lumberjack, and I look like Santa Claus. Anyway, my point is. Um, the cats love sleeping next to it. Yeah. They love curling up to our little I'll take a soft someday. plush yeah. men. It's so funny. Um, all right. So this week's podcast, what are we talking about? We are, well, it's been a hell of a week for racists. Oh my God, Let me tell yeah. you that. Busy. Uh, They're busy. I'm only going to briefly touch on Kanye because... No, ugh. why? Why? I, I, I'm so disgusted by... All right, let's thing. not talk about Kanye. No, really? No. I mean, Kanye yeah. came out with an I Love Hitler interview oh, yesterday. He, he, and no. Gross. Yeah, gross as shit. And we've got to stop giving uh, uh-huh. making excuses for that guy because mental health difficulties do not make people love Hitler and hate right. Jews. And that's the end of it. Yeah, I agree. That's the end of it. Let's let's drop that. Um, but we are going to talk about the Buckingham Palace racism scandal which is deliciously awful. Not that I, I mean, I, no, I yeah. wouldn't wish that on anyone, but the blowback is exactly what the palace deserves. Um, and it's hilarious that it happened right at, at the moment Kate and William touched down in Boston. Right. Everyone has tried to make this 
about it's Kate and, and William, and it right. really has literally nothing to do with them. I mean, except for the fact that they are associated with this institution, but it does tend to uh, support everything Meghan and Harry have said about the Very institution. True. I agree. We'll get into that. We will also talk about oh, the weirdness of the Balenciaga ad and the scandal surrounding it. I'm just going to mostly toss that yeah. to Lorenzo. Well, once again. Because he's the style guy. Fashion industry, once again. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge <laughs> indictment of the fashion industry. However, uh, I don't think... Uh, it, well, we'll get into that. Um, and then finally, we're going to talk about a movie. We're, we're going to try and hit at least one movie a week. Or two. Or two. But right now, we're only, we've only had a chance to watch one. We have a ton of movies to watch. Yes. Yeah. So, and I'm very excited about all of them, actually. So am I. Last night, we watched Women Talking, the film directed by Sarah Polly, starring Claire Foy and Judith Ivey and Jesse Buckley and Rooney Mara and just a stunning cast of actresses. Um, and we're going to talk about that in the second half of the... It'll be a non-spoiler conversation, I promise. Although, it's really not the kind of film... That you can spoil. spoil. Yeah. There's really not much there. There's no plot. It's literally what the title says. Women, women talking. talking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's also one of my favorite films of the year. Um, okay, so let's start with Buckingham Palace. To set the scene, um, Queen Camilla had a uh, reception at Buckingham Palace for... Um, a bunch of charities and and advocacy about um, violence against women, if mm-hmm. I understand correctly. Yes, and um, it. I, I just want to backtrack a little. It's it's perhaps notable, although I don't think it makes a difference to this story. Is that Camilla has done away with ladies in waiting? She she yeah. is not going to have ladies in waiting. She has. It's really just a change. Companions, right? Is that what she they're called? called queens companions. It's really just a change in terminology and a slight. Um, stepping back of of um duties however the queen's former lady the queen elizabeth's former lady-in-waiting susan hussey who had been her lady-in-waiting for oh i don't know 40 50 years she's prince william's godmother one of his godmothers and she was actually portrayed in the latest season of the crown she is the woman whose husband was the head of the bbc um you know he he do Marmaduke Hussey was his name, and and there was a scene where they were in bed together, and he took off his prosthetic leg, and that's who she was. Um, anyway, so Camilla had this had this event. Susan Hussey is now former lady in waiting. She was she was given the new title of head of the royal household or something like that, which is fairly, from what I understand, would be considered a fairly high ranking. Um, she's, she's position. Been, she's been working for them, or, or however you call it, for for like six decades. Right? Yeah, she's, for however long it is. She's been a very close member, of the, close friend of the family. Right. And she has been in it in terms of Buckingham Palace. She's just in the institution. She is part of it. And I'm saying that because she was the one who, um, I guess she thought she was just making small talk. She um, approached a woman named Ngozi Falani who is a black British woman who um, is the head of a charity called Sister Space. Yeah, she was there representing the Sister Space charity. Yes. And um, whether it matters to this story or not, Ngozi was dressed in very um, African-inspired clothing. Not that this... uh, I'm really just trying to give you the entire picture. It does not excuse anything that happened afterwards. So uh, Lady Susan Hussey went up to her to make small talk, and she asked her where she was from. They start talking about the sister space. Well, I, I think um, 
And Gozi thought she was asking about the charity. And she said, you know, I'm here representing a sister space uh, charity. And she said, well, where, where are you from? And she said, well, the, the charity is based in, in <coughs> what is it, Hackney? Um, and then she kept asking, no, 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 I meant you. And then it just... Then it turned into, where yeah. are your people from? And Miss um, Filani like like a lot of um people of color or or immigrants are used to this sort of questioning um she kept trying to move uh Susan Hussey away from the line of questioning and she kept answering I'm British I'm from Great Britain and this you know it could have ended there but this 83 year old woman who's been stuck in Buckingham Palace for 60 years couldn't read the signs right and she just kept going one of the things she did was that she moved uh, Miss Villani's hair out of the way that's how that how it started to I think. see her name tag which I don't know Susan Hussey but I guarantee she wouldn't have walked up to any white woman and just touched her hair like no. that um, she also probably wouldn't have asked a white woman where she was from. She, if she just had a British accent, she would have assumed she was from Great Britain like any, you know, whatever. But the conversation got more and more condescending and even a little aggressive. At one point, Susan Hussey said, oh, dear, I'm going to have some trouble with you, aren't I? Or something along those lines. Like getting the information. Something yeah, like it that. was. She just could not read the signs right. that Miss Fulani was not enjoying this conversation and that you know, she she had given the answer that she was going right. to give. So Miss Falani went online and um, and recounted this conversation on social media. She did not name Susan Hussey, but she did use the initials. And even I, I'm not the I'm well. I don't want to say even I because I do actually know a mm-hmm. decent. But I immediately clear. recognized yeah, right. who she was referring to. Um, and another woman, I don't, I can't remember, but another attendee who was also a black woman. Um, she heard the whole conversation and she backed it up. She said, yeah, you know, she, it really, she happened. confirmed yeah, it. This right. is exactly what I heard. Um, the, do you want to talk about why this is a problem? I think this is a problem. Number one, because, um, so many reasons, because I watched a bunch of stuff online and, uh, you know, and I was curious to see how the news there covered it. And it was pretty much, they had all these explanations why it happened, you know, like right. the way, she, and I'm glad you brought up the, dra- the the way she was dressed. No, maybe the way she was dressed, you know, brought that up, you know, and that's why, lady, you know, whatever Lady Susan Hussey asked the question. That's the first time. Yeah. That explains the first time right. she asked the so, question. So, Every, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. So that's number one. And then, you know, all these things about, well, maybe... You know, typical blaming the victim here. Maybe if she had answered the question a different way, she would never have to ask so many times. You know, all these things. Right. Focusing on the victim and not the one who actually was racist. There was uh, also a whole bunch of stuff about how they started digging through um, Fulani's old tweets. And because she, oh she's a British black woman right of course she's going to have some opinions about harry and megan so right. they found old tweets ab- about harry and megan in which she was fully supportive of the two of them and i believe she even mentioned that the institution had a racist past listen none of that is shocking and right. none of that should be considered out of bounds right uh i watch her actually Fulani, miss um, Fulani, uh talk about the event on youtube she gave an interview and it was interesting because you know when you read the tweet it, it's sort of like a, a summarized 
version of what actually happened, but she gives you details. And she mentions that, you know, the, the reason why I kept answering and, and just staying there, you know, and answering the questions is because, you know, I was taught to respect seniors. I mean, so I I can understand why she kept answering because and she, she's in Buckingham Palace. Exactly. What's she going to do? Mouth off? Yeah. So you're in, in that very important place, very important event. And then you have someone asking you all this. What are you going to do? You're going to be rude to that person? Right. You know, you're not going to. Right. And uh, I don't blame her for going to social right. media and and relating what happened to yes. her. It's. That's it's what people do. Number one, that's what people do. But it's actually yeah. important. Yes. It is the 21st century. Queen Elizabeth is dead. There is an ongoing question about whether the monarchy even should exist. And this is on the heels of yes. not only Meghan and Harry, but the disastrous uh, royal tour of the Caribbean last year with, uh, or no, this was this year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was earlier this year with William and Catherine. And after the Puck and Bella said several times that they're working on it, they're, they're trying to, you yeah, know... And- Work on so, racism and all that stuff. All of this is, this wasn't just some woman with a grudge going on social media and trying to blow up a scandal. This is actually important. It is an ongoing conversation in Great Britain about right. the monarchy and about racism in that institution um, and about its colonial past. Um To the palaces, I guess, credit, I don't want to give them too much credit, um, they dealt with it pretty quickly. Um, or at least Susan Hussey did. She resigned rather quickly. Well, she on was the, probably, you know, forced to. On the other one. hand, the palace supposedly said that they reached out to Ngozi, Ngozi Falani, and Ngozi Falani said no, they didn't. Yes, she says that they didn't reach out to her, and then the the palace made a statement saying that they did. So you know, you you frankly, Camilla should have sent her a handwritten note the next right or day. something like that. The very next. And the day. thing is, even Prince, uh, Prince William, I mean, his statement is so you know calculated because he says racism has no place in our society. Well, it seems to be alive and well in your family. Yeah, so that's plenty of room in the book right. for racism. Yeah. So that's why I hate those statements, those apologies, because they're so... They're not po- even in a... Po- it's like the no. broadest, most anodyne yeah, response. Exactly. It's like, yeah, they're- of course, everyone hates racism. Yeah, but- in our society. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, put that on a greeting card. I mean, please. Having said that, American uh, Americans especially really just went all mm-hmm. in on Kate and William as if this was somehow representative of them. And everything about uh, William and Harry is like clearly William and Harry are estranged from each other. They're not getting along at all. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty obvious that Megan and Kate never wound up becoming friendly with each other. However, uh, and I don't doubt that um, there have been microaggressions um, and, and various, th- mm-hmm. but when, when, when Megan and Harry talked about racism in the institution, in the family, I think they were very careful with their words because they never named names. But I always thought it was very clear that they were talking about older members of the family. And in fact, I believe Megan said that that she really had no problem with William and, and Kate. Um, she only had a problem with the fact that the press kept pitting them against each other. Right. So I'm not defending William and Kate, but I think when you talk about racism in that institution, you need to look at the older members because they are the ones that, number one, right. have been ingrained in it for decades, and number two, are more or less in charge. And, and have um, done nothing to change. Right. You know, that's the problem. 
But again, going back to William and Kate, there was um, they were supposed to release a report on the number of um, minority members of their staff, and they wound up never doing it because I don't think they have any. They have like an all white staff. So I'm not I'm not defending William and Kate. I just think that this this particular instance doesn't have a lot to do with them. First off, they weren't even in the country at the time. Secondly, this was fully Buckingham Palace in which they do not live and never have. Right. Um, and it was all older members of the family. It was Susan Hussey. It was Queen Camilla. And and apparently Prince Charles is the one who named her lady of the household because he's very friendly with her. She's the godmother of one of his sons. So you got to look at the older members of the institution first. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking William and Kate off the hook, but there's nothing on the record about the two of them uh, ever engaging in this sort of behavior. Um, but... It absolutely does underline and sort of prove everything that Megan and just, I feel it, it proves everything I think they it's, said. It's just arrogance because and f- lack of respect because someone like that, are you telling me you don't have an assistant, that, that you don't have someone working for you who will run the list of guests for you and, you know, or whoever is going to be there at the event? She probably and, didn't think she, she had to. Like, who were these? She's the, never going to see these point, women again. Uh, They're just a bunch of, you know, whatevers. Right. But the thing is, is it's 2022 you know, and almost 20. And these these people have uh, they should have something else in place. This you is know? why you need black staff members. This is right, why you need exactly. staff member. You know, in Pakistani staff member, you need um, staff members who represent the whole range of uh, you know Great Britain, not an all white elderly staff. And that's exactly why this happened because it's an institution of all white elderly right. people. Um, so it looks bad for everybody. I agree. Uh, and it's just clearly, you know, it's the same thing over and over again. It's not, it hasn't changed and I doubt it will change anytime soon. And if she hadn't, and Miss Falani hadn't said anything, then, you know, we wouldn't have known about it. And I, I applaud her for saying it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people yes. think she was some sort of troublemaker Why? or something like that. Certainly. No. She's not getting anything out of this, you know. I mean, maybe sister spaces, and I think they are. Their chari- their uh, contributions are way up in the li- in which great, good for her, good right. for them. But it's not like she's going around giving lots of interviews or trying to make money off it or whatever. Um, she just felt that this needed to be recounted, and that as a black woman in that space, she felt very, very aggrieved. She felt very, you know that she was treated as an outsider and and again back to her interview you can find it on youtube she says something that really i mean i was like wow you're dead on there because she said um you know despite all the conversations out there it was racist i'm telling you right i mean the bottom yes. line is yes yeah <laughs> We as white people are not the arbiters of what is and isn't racism. We're just not. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think it was a good thing for her to do. I think it was the right thing for her to do. And I don't know if it'll wind up in any, you know, if the palace will change in any way. Um, But, you know, the monarchy is, is somewhat vulnerable at the moment. And Charles, if he has any intelligence at all, would understand that this is a sign Mm. that you need to make major changes. You can't just take your mother's old staff, promote them to new positions, and carry on. You really need to make changes to the institution because um, it's no longer being run by 90-year-olds. And it should reflect that. Even though Prince William is... I mean, King Charles is not particularly young himself. He's something like 72. Um, 
you need if you want this monarchy to survive. No, right. You can't go 20 more years with this royal Barbie family, you know, that they you just, you know, they just walk around and, and are treated literally like royalty and um, don't do anything to change. I mean, do not represent our, right. our values and, and, you know, today. And just, you know, for our British listeners, and I know we have some, um, America is, I'm not claiming we've got it figured out, and I'm certainly not even claiming that we have it any better, and I have actually witnessed, no, where are you from from conversations here in America um, with friends and other family members. I have family members, you know, in-laws and stuff that are not from America uh, and aren't white, and I have witnessed those kind of conversations. Um, so this is not an indictment of Great Britain, although it is an indictment of that institution. I don't understand how you hear the the phrase "dissenters." I mean, she says, "I'm I'm 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 British. I was born in the UK," and you and you say, "No, but where are you really? From? Where are your people from?" from and I that mean, sort of thing. Yeah, that alone. I mean, how can you even question that? There's nothing wrong inherently with asking where are you from once. But if you ask, but if the person times, makes it clear asking. that they are that they would, you know. That's mm-hmm. it. That's the answer. Where are you from? Great Britain. If they don't want to tell you their ethnic background or whatever, and let's face it, not every black person in the Western world knows their ethnic right. background. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what slavery did. It ripped right. apart all their familial ba- bonds and language bonds. Right. And it really pisses me off when I hear all these conversations where I read about people saying, well, she should have just you know, walked away and answered once and walked away. No, that's not how it works, people. You're in Buckingham yeah, Palace. Yeah, that's not how that it works. That is work. intimidating and to clearly, anybody. Clearly, you have never been, you know, accused or, right. or, or, or suffer any sort of anything in your life. That's why you have that kind of... You right. Know. I mean, if I found myself at a Buckingham Palace reception, right. despite all my criticisms of that family... Um, and that institution, I would be intimidated and right. I would try to be on my best behavior because I was fucking in Buckingham Palace. So I don't blame her for not, you know, making a scene or, or walking away or anything. She was trying her best to defuse a situation that she found quite upsetting. Um, and I, I think it's one of those things. And I even I have been there where you have an encounter with someone and it's difficult, and you can't quite put your finger on why, and it's not until later that you realize what it was. So I fully understand. It might have been an hour, two hours, three hours later where she realized, damn it, that was really racist. And that's why she went, right, you know, right. she came out with it. Well, it kept going and going. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the fact that she moved her hair, what? That. I mean, we're talking about, it's not a, like like a Latin culture where everybody touches everybody. We're talking about a, British people. That woman would never have touched another woman's yeah, hair, if the, exactly. another white woman's hair. No, touch no. anybody. No. Um, there's a condescension in that. There's a sense of ownership over black bodies by white people. There, right. It's all, I mean, if someone touched my hair or my face I without know. my or, permission. Or even my bed alone. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. No. no. You asked the question, hi, you know. Blah, now, blah, what's blah. funny is, like I said, this happened just as Kate and William touched down in, in Boston and they... You know, Boston. <laughs> <laughs> My God. I understand why they went to Boston. It's where the Earthshot Prize is, and they wanted to visit local. There was a like a lab they went to yesterday um, dealing with climate change or something like that. Um, and I think they, they're trying, they tried, 
they they tie the Earthshot thing mm-hmm. to Ken uh, John F Kennedy's moonshot speech, so they wanted to be in Boston at the heart. But of, this is a place where they dye the river green. So right, it's a heavily <laughs> Irish city. Um, it's not the kind of city that's going to um, necessarily cheer for no. England. Now, granted, I think the re- their reception has been very good. There have been cheering crowds right. for them, but they went to uh, a Celtics game and. Uh, when they were put up on the jumbotron, the crowd started booing and <laughs> chanting "USA, USA." It was only briefly, and it wasn't the whole crowd. Um, but I had to laugh. It was the timing couldn't have been worse for the two of them. And then um, the very next day, I like Netflix. I know Netflix uh, released the trailer. Of course, and let me just say, Netflix released that trailer. Harry and Meghan have absolutely Nothing. no yeah, control over when really. those things are released, um, and. The fact that it was one of those trailers that ends with coming soon instead of an actual premiere date tells you that it was just, let's throw this thing together and get it out there immediately. They had an intern doing that for five minutes. And of course, there was all this backlash about Harry and Meghan trying to make embarrass his brother and blah, blah, blah. And I really don't think Harry and Meghan had anything to do with the timing on that. It was Netflix just being really, really smart and savvy. It was just a bunch of pictures. It wasn't even footage. Yeah. I think there was, no, there was some footage. Yeah, but like pretty much with all the pictures. Yeah, they just threw the whole thing together and... the timing could not have been better. Um, I'm not going to talk about the uh, trailer itself. I think when that series comes out, I'll right. probably have a few I things agree. to say, but uh, we'll see about that. What? Let us know what you think about it in the yes. comment section. And like, you know, like and yes. subscribe, like and subscribe. Um, sound off in the comments. We never do that sort of thing, but no. we're trying to do it more. Okay. Um, what else did we want? Oh, Balenciaga. 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 Uh, It erupted into a scandal in the past week or two. It's actually longer than a week because I remember last week's podcast, we briefly wondered if we were going to talk about it. Yeah, so it's been going on for a while. Yeah, Uh, Balenciaga had a... um, They had two, actually. um, An ad campaign. Two. Uh, Okay. So there were two campaigns, one with children, and then the other one was actually the campaign that we posted on our site with, with Nicole Kidman and um, Isabel Huppert. Huppert, yeah. yeah. But thank God, I didn't I didn't see it, and I didn't post a picture that everybody saw and it talked a, about. Yeah, let me just... We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. It's a holiday ad campaign, and we're not going to post the pictures on our site because it's offensive stuff so why would we put that on our on our site but uh if you want to go find it you can go find it it's i mean at first glance the imagery is it's you're not going to be offended you have to actually look for it right but it's children um and you know like toddlers actually i don't i think it's two little girls and they don't look like they're much older than three uh, posing with a bunch of balenciaga accessories uh and houseware items i think and one and holding these bizarre uh they're not even teddy bears they're just stuffed creatures um in what looks like bdsm gear or bondage gear yeah i think they're bears like the sort well, of one teddy of them bear. is purple oh anyway they're but they have like the they're in leather yeah yeah bond and one of them's like gear. in a fishnet yeah it's totally that's weird enough and then um in one of the pictures there's there's stuff on a table that's and the second campaign okay with uh with 
papers on the table and someone zoomed in on the papers and it was court documents for a child pornography it's case? It's the United States versus Williams case, and which is about child pornography being illegal and, not, and it shouldn't be protected under uh, freedom of speech. I don't know how they found those papers and decided that would be a great idea to be in the game. Well, there has been obvious recriminations and um, Balenciaga blamed the photographer and photographer blamed, I think, an assistant or something like that. Um, I just want to, I'm going to toss to you because you know the details more than, than I do because you are the style guy. But uh, I just want to say, I don't think, despite what right-wingers and conspiracy theorists believe, I do not think there is pedophilia rampant in the fashion industry. And I don't even think that this was a pro-pedophilia campaign or something like that. I think it's an indication, once again, of the fucking bubble that these people live in. Yes, that we always mention. Here. And they okay. just think this stuff is going to be shocking and, and provocative, and it's disgusting. The thing is that, you know, fashion houses used to be about fashion, and now it becomes more and more about social, um, you know, media, and, 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 right. about, and about what you can, you know, viral things and all that. That's what fashion is all about now. Balenciaga... Um, Creative director Demna, he's been with the company since 2000. He's been with Balenciaga since 2015, and he's known for being very pr- provocative. He likes to create these things that are shocking. People, I mean, you might remember. I think we posted on the site, or maybe not. He had a a, a bag that looked like a trash bag, and it was like eighteen hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people were talking about how obnoxious and horrible that is. And then he had, you know, the latest show was the models walking, walking like, through mud, like they were walking, like in you know, and we marching, trashed that marching show. in war trenches. Uh, so he he he's like that. He's that type of of creative director. He likes to shock. Um, and you know do things like that so that people can talk about the brand and then and buy you know the perfume um because people can't even afford the clothes so that's the story with balenciaga it's been like this for a while and i guess they they love it because they're getting the attention so this was bad for them yeah so we're talking about two campaigns here ad campaigns the first the one with the children and the the teddy bears and so on and then the other one which i thought it was the same campaign that's why i'm trying to explain here um that there were two campaigns the second one is the one we actually posted on our site it's with nicole kidman and you know um and everybody else and it's, it's it's like an office. They're in the office and they're posing. Um, Listen, you can do anything with grown-ups. If right. they want to do grown-ups in bondage gear for a fashion ad, that's fine. But you just don't do it with children. But the thing is, I guess they wanted to make it look like it's a law office or whatever. And then, you know, there is a picture that we didn't post on our site, uh, which is a close-up of the bag. And under the bed, there's a bunch of papers that apparently they were on the... Uh, desk anyway so someone of course on social media and thank god they did um zoomed in and and noticed that they were actually legal papers and and that's why and they were like what what is what is going on here and then that combined with the other campaign which was children um with s&m you know stuff so it just exploded and the problem that i have here and the is that balenciaga the company took forever to even talk about it like they they were silent for a long time. Then because fi- they loved the controversy, right? Then they finally blamed everybody else but themselves. They blamed the photographer. Now the 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 photographer came out. And the photographer who did the children uh, children's campaign didn't do the the other campaign that I talked about uh, with Nicole Kidman. Uh, it was somebody else. He says 
that he didn't know anything about it and he was just there to photograph, which is also bullshit. Bullshit. Because, because if you're photog- photographing they children... They know everything that's on that yeah, set. Holding S&M bags. I mean, right. you don't raise any question. You don't... Talk, well, listen, are we sure about this? No. Uh, no, he kept, you know, taking his pictures. So... So he and then they Balenciaga tried to blame the uh, producers, the, the creators of, of the set and all that, um, saying that it was their fault that they didn't know anything about the the, the legal documents or anything like that, which is bullshit. bullshit. Listen, these houses. I mean, if you watch any, I mean, watch any uh, fashion uh, movie or documentary, documentary or whatever. nothing gets out of the house no No campaign no collection of any ad campaign yes you don't accidentally stick child porn in an ad campaign right everything has to be approved by everybody including the creative director in this case demna so it's it's ridiculous that they act like they didn't know about the campaign they didn't know about the legal paper that's bullshit so finally he made uh an apology now uh saying that it's his fault that he was you know blaming himself and that it's you know he thought that it was just you know thought provoking and blah 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 right the usual but it's just horrible stuff like this makes people hate fashion yeah and that's the thing you know you can't even say i i stopped saying like oh you know what were they thinking i i stopped asking that question because at this point with all these things going on and have been going on right I, they really know what they're they doing know what they're doing yeah it was the same thing with the mud show and yeah. i said at the same time at the time i was like stuff like this having written about fashion for 16 years now and listening to reading mm-hmm. responses this is the kind of thing that makes people hate fashion right. And um, it's not good for the fashion industry in the long run to keep promoting itself as this rarefied bubble of like right. provocative, you know, it, it's just bullshit. Let, design nice clothes that people want to buy right. and stop trying to make it so, you know, You can't make the argument that, that you're doing this so that you have people talking and, you know, raise issues and anything. You can't use victims uh, you can't right. use somebody can't else's use children. Yeah, you can't use somebody else's drama or trauma or or experiences or children for that matter uh, to sell products. To, yeah, uh, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. It's wrong and it shouldn't be accepted. And um, I'm glad everyone is complaining about it. And now, and, will Kim Kardashian stop? Well, that's the thing. No, no. So she made a statement saying, you know, I I talked to Balenciaga and uh, told them that they should be re uh, reevaluating my no that she talked to them and apparently they're going to do something about it. Meaning that she still wants the money and she's not going. Well, she probably can't break a contract yeah. if she has one. Well, she said she'll be reevaluating her relationship with the brand, which means bullshit. It doesn't mean a goddamn. It thing. doesn't mean a goddamn. Meanwhile, thing. her ex-husband yeah. is posting swastikas online, and will she be doing anything about that? Right. Um, uh, it's like, all right, no. Not that she owes him. No, no. It's not her responsibility, but are you still going to let your kids around that man? She, she I mean, I, I don't know in legal terms, or it, uh, but maybe she has a case here to just, you know, cut any relationship, uh, professional relationship with them because of this. I don't know. First off, she has enough money that she can break the contract yeah, and it exactly. won't hurt her I'm at sure, all. I'm sure she can, you know. Um, when that, when Galliano had that whole issue, uh, what's her name? Natalie Portman. She immediately turned to, uh, Dior, uh, Dior and said, listen, you take care of this or I'm out. Or I'm out. Exactly. Um, uh, that's not what she's saying. No, anyway. it's not. 
Um, but I don't expect a Kardashian or a Jenner to have um, no. principles. So they come out with this bullshit, mistake, bullshit uh, statement saying, you know, we're conducting internal and external investigations. It's, it's all it's nothing. bullshit. It means nothing. nothing. It means nothing. You it should fire nothing. the creative director. You should fire the photographer. Yes, yeah. Uh, but they won't do that because they're they're in their little bubble, circling their wagon. You don't reevaluate anything. You just fire everybody. Yeah. That's... And it starts from scratch. Exactly. But um, in <laughs> In the world of fashion, no, no that's that, not how that it works. Happen. They're very slow to no. deal with any sort of I mean, controversy. Look at Dolce Gabbana. Look at all of them. Look at all of them. Right. Yeah, it. You know, people forget and move on. Yeah. Um. Speaking of moving on. Yes. Would you like to move on? Yes. Let's all right. On. Let's talk about women talking, which we watched last night. Oh my god! Amazing movie. I are are all I can think of was my sisters the whole time, and I'm like, oh my I god! Know. I can't wait to tell them to watch this movie. And because our listenership is like 65, readership is like 65 percent female, I c- couldn't wait to to tell all you guys and gals about it because um, just one of the best women centered films I think I might it's- have seen ever it's absolutely um, a, a fantastic movie that you know it goes beyond just being entertaining and and being a movie it's, it's a lesson there for anybody right. yeah so let me do the setup on this so we can explore what it's about and uh again there will be no spoilers um uh, but it would be very difficult to spoil this there is literally the entire film hinges on one question and you find out in the last maybe 20 minutes the answer to that, what they're going to do. And I'll leave that part out. Right. What their decision is. But it's actually based on a real incident that happened in a Mennonite community um, that was um, out in the middle of nowhere in Bolivia. Um, in Manitoba. And uh, I thought Manitoba was in Canada. No, but there's the colony. There's a colony, which is very interesting because <clears throat> the colony in Bolivia is called Manitoba. Oh. But... The the uh, director was born in a city called Manitoba, Canada. Yeah, that I know. So that's interesting that, that, that you know, both places have the same name. So uh, this happened in 2009. It was a Mennonite community uh, that was in a very isolated area. Um, everybody in the community was um, uh, German descended and spoke low German, although none of this is really evident in the film, except the fact that the women have very German names. Um I didn't even know how to pronounce a couple of those young know, girls like Altier or something like that. Did not know how to even pronounce it. Um, that's beside the point. But it was a real case where uh, the uh, the men in this community were um, drugging the women at night. They were actually spraying uh, cow tranqu- or horse tranquilizer into, through cracks in the windows to knock everybody in the house out. And then they would let themselves in and, and rape the women. And um, they... Uh, something like 130 women were raped in this community and um, uh, it went to trial. It was a big scandal. All these women came out of the community to go and and testify against these men in court and everything. But that is not what this movie is about. This movie takes the basic setup of it's a Mennonite community. It doesn't tell you where it is. Uh, Although throughout the entire film, I was like, this isn't America, is it? I don't think they're in America. The way they talk about how isolated they are, I don't, in fact, I didn't even, whatever. That's beside the point. Um, But it is the same setup where it's a Mennonite community where the women have discovered that all, that the men have been raping them at night. Um, And for the longest time, the men in the community, and I should add that there are, there's only one adult male actor in the film, and then there's a bunch of little boys. It is 
as woman-centered as a film can be while still allowing men in the picture. Um, so uh, the one of the women catches a man in the act. She wakes up or whatever. And they had all been told for weeks or months or whatever that they were imagining these things or that it was Satan and that they were sinful. Like, And there's depictions, not of rape, but there are depictions of the women waking up in beds full of blood. There are pictures of the women spitting teeth out. Um, there's all sorts of violence perpetrated on the women, almost none of which happens on, well, none of which happens on screen. Um, it's most, it's all implied. Uh, they bear their scars and they reveal their scars throughout the movie. The, the men of the community ultimately decide to, um, take the perpetrators out, uh, to be jailed or whatever i don't even know what that was about but it, it, it's not very clear but I, I watched an interview with the director and the story is that they the men left because they're they're trying to bail out all the men in jail that's oh, so why the men were arrested and then the men in the community went and to go that's get why them. they're not there present so the women are left alone in the community and representatives among the women are all sit in a barn and 90 percent of the movie is just them sitting in a barn and I know this might sound boring to you. I was not bored at all. No, I wasn't. And the bored reason I wasn't all. bored was because the the script is just breathtaking and the acting is off the chain. So they all sit around and they set it up. This is all in the first literal ten minutes of the movie. So again, I'm not spoiling anything. And there's a question put before them: Do we stay and do nothing? Do we stay and fight, or do we leave? And the entire film are these women debating that. That simple three-part question. Right. Um, and in doing so, they reveal all of their scars, all of their pain, all of their fury. Right. And it's fascinating to watch because Sarah Polly, the director, who used to be a child actress um, and moved into directing, she's very respectful of the fact that these are women who are extremely religious. So all of their fury, all of their anger is couched in extremely faith-oriented mm. terminology, um, which means that some of them, especially the older ones, have no access to their fury. They can't bring it up because they've been trained not to, right. but you can feel it. Judith Ivy, my God. First off, she's a great actress. She's been a great actress forever. But she is amazing. She is so freaking good at I, this because she threads that needle between grace like just grace that comes with faith and just absolute right. bone chilling fury i'm sorry go ahead uh the the movie is based on a book uh with by with the same name um by miriam taves and i Watch some interview. She's a former Mennonite. Yeah, she is a former Mennonite. She was uh, born in Canada, but her, her parents are from Europe, and they came as Mennonites and moved to Canada. Uh, so she grew up as a Mennonite, right? Um, which is explains a lot. Right. It's interesting that she took this case in Bolivia as her inspiration. Right. Um, very, very interesting. Um, and. I mean, you can look it up. Um, uh, the case really happened. 130 women, you know, an estimate of 130 women were raped. And everything you just said, that they blame Satan and all that, uh, the right. man in, in, the, in the colony. 
everything happened and everything is true. Uh, the good thing in the real story is that about 140 women testified and the men, not by the community, community not by the colony, but the, the actual police in Bolivia uh, arrested these men and they ended up in jail. But that the film does not, no, the, the that's film not does, what the film is no, about. It's whether they stay, whether they right. fight or whether they go. There is no discussion about... Um, going to court or anything like that it's very very basic the choices put before them and um i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead please no go ahead i i think the main message here uh the movie has and is that uh you listen women people don't listen to women that's pretty much the message here uh women can't speak women can't uh, express their opinion, their desires, their fears, nothing. So that's the message, especially this women in the colony. Oh, it's um, so amazing watching so, them try and because they've been so repressed. Uh, oh, I should mention none of the women can read or write. Right. Um, uh, they had to bring Ben Wishaw is in the film. He's wonderful in it. That He's like the one beta male in the community. He's very sensitive. And he's brought in to write down the minutes of the meeting because right. none of them can do it. And there's one point I'm not giving much away, but I will mention this sentence, uh, this question that uh, Rooney Mar uh, playing Ona. Ona She's so good. Uh, she asked Ben, the actor, you know, August, the character, um, how would you feel if whatever you said never no, mattered? Nothing you ever thought or said ever mattered. And it's just like, wow. That's the other what? line, and I don't even know if I can get through it without getting choked up. It's Judith Ivey who says, did a man, I, I'm not quoting verbatim because I didn't write it down, um, that a man never so much as put his hand on the small of her back even when she was pushing out the 12th or 13th child from her body. And it's like, oh my God, what a line. And the way she delivers it. Um but the other thing, it's not, you know, it's a feminist film, obviously. I don't feel like it would, well, I'm not a woman, but I, I don't think the point of the film is anger. Um, I don't, I, I didn't end the film like angry at the patriarchy. Maybe, maybe I should have, uh, the, the, but I, I was more impressed by the women. Right. Um, I think the movie makes two points, in my opinion. First, that we should listen to women, because if you listen to them, then you can understand how they feel and, and understand them a little more mm-hmm. uh, and maybe treat them differently. I think that's number one. Number two, the, the movie makes a second point, which I won't give much away, but that if you raise men a certain way, right. you know, they right. will behave differently right uh, uh it does make the point that pa- the patriarchal system is as damaging not yeah. as damaging for men as it is for but it damages men right and there is that point because then the question becomes if we leave do we take our sons with us and what's the cutoff age when right. does a little right. boy become a dangerous man and um it's very much about the idea that uh past a certain age these boys cannot be saved they're right. going to become men right. and, and then they're going to become brutalizers um and it it talks about and it's really interesting one thing i want to get across uh that i wanted to open the conversation with because the film opens with there's a title card that says this is an act of female imagination and there's it's a play on words because first the women were told that they were it was all female imagination that none of this was happening to them that they you know imagine these rapes but second um, and it did. I, it really wasn't until the next morning when I, because I, it is the kind of film that you will, be, oh my you God. will be thinking I, about I for a really long time. It. 
And I said to you last night, I was like, I don't know if this is a criticism because I, I think it was clearly a very deliberate choice on, on Sarah Polly's part. And I, I reiterate, this script is just fantastic. But a couple of times I was like, okay, well, at one point, one of the characters says we need to process our pain. And I was like, would a would an illiterate farm woman in an isolated community really use that kind of language? And there are other instances, especially with Rooney Mara, who is oh she's phenomenal. But not it's really my favorite Rooney Mara um performance ever. I love and her. she plays a very un Rooney Mara character. She plays a very warm, mm-hmm. loving character. And that she usually plays very cold characters. Um I forget where I was going with this. Um, she had a lot of, I don't know, maybe talking about the, their vocabulary. and Oh, yeah, yes. I'm sorry. The vocabulary. Yes. She, all throughout the movie, she makes various arguments that just sound like a, a woman with a PhD. Right. And um, at other times, there is, there are instances where the the characters say things that are topical in a way that those characters wouldn't. At one point, one of them literally says, not all men, uh, which, you know, has become something of a... Uh, you don't say, you know, whatever. Um, It's sort of like the all lives matter in response to Black Lives Matter. And then I did, it's not that I had a problem with it, but it kept taking me out of the film. There is a transgender man in the story. There is someone that the community thinks of as a woman who is um, apparently after his rape, uh, cut his hair, started wearing men's clothes and um, would only answer to a man's name. And I I really, I kept having a really, because I'm like, how does someone like that even exist in a community where the women all have to wear dresses to the ankle and, and are only allowed to dress modestly? How would that person even be allowed to exist? Mm-hmm. And then I woke up this morning and I remembered, I was like, oh, right. This is an act of female imagination. That's why it doesn't go. It right. it isn't a direct recounting of the right. real story. It is what would happen if all of these women sat right. down and were just allowed to talk about their feelings, their fears, and their fury. Oh wow, alliteration! And I wasn't even trying. Um, and that is what the film is, and it becomes something much larger. It is not an indictment of the Mennonite community, although. <laughs> I didn't exactly love it by the time the movie was over. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> I one time one time I went on a rant at a it was just recently actually at a family gathering about the Amish. I we live in Philadelphia, so the Amish have been a a, a part of my right. life since I was a childhood. And real briefly, never had respect for them. Anybody who lives in isolation like that, it's not something I, I respect. I just don't. Um, I think that's the other point is that uh, it's not just the Amish uh, or the Mennonites and and it's every it's so many communities like that where yeah. women have no voice no no say right. no nothing and they they're supposed to dress like it's eighteen ninety right. and just and they live in a in in a colony in a community uh, isolated from every, anything yeah as far as and, I know there was no electricity or, right so it 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 says a lot I was watching as I was watching the movie I kept thinking this could be a fantastic play, play because, because it's all I aesthetic. would love to just be sitting there and listening to these women speak in person. Yeah. Like I would, I, I think I'd be so touched by it as yeah. I was watching the movie, but I can only imagine the, the emotion and the vibe, like sitting there and listening to them. It's, if you just listen to them, <laughs> that's the kind of movie that you just listen, 
listen to these women and it's just absolutely beautiful which i you know i usually don't read the book after i watched the movie now i want to read the book but now i want to read the book because i apparently I, it goes into a lot more depth yes and i'd love to 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 read the dialogue the, the you know the vocabulary everything she right. chose that the author chose um to depict the story so i would love i'm, I'm probably going to read the book my only criticism of the film is that i don't like the way it was shot um and it's not so much how it was shot. They clearly digitally graded it and they desaturated all the colors. So it's... Right. And I, I kept thinking, you know, if you wanted... Why not just shoot this in black and white? Like, this actually would have been mm-hmm. an amazing film in black and white. Um, but it had that really muddy, Netflixy, desaturated palette to it. And I was like, yeah, I get why they thought this worked for it, but mm-hmm. it's such a cliche now that it really kind of brings the film down. But it's, honestly, it's my only criticism. The performance is crazy good. Every single person is amazing. Claire Foy, Jesse Claire Foy's uh, top of the... Uh, Buckley. Uh, all of them. Buckley, my God. All of them are incredible. And um, I, I do want to note, first off, it's a group of women in, that ranges in age from about... 13 mm-hmm. to i don't know 70 or whatever judith ivy is um and there is a range of perspectives here including yes. A, yes. several of the women making excuses for the men um and uh and just not having the vocabulary or the background to understand that what's happening to them is wrong <laughs> and they should not stay there right. if that is going to keep happening to them and then uh, there's such a great discussion about um if we leave we're violating our faith and claire foy who is the rage that comes off her in this film is scorching and she quite clearly makes she makes it very clear if we stay i will become a murderer mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes this whole question, do you violate your faith by murdering your oppressors or do you violate your faith by leaving your community? And that, and it's so, you know, as a, as a person who doesn't live in an isolated religious community like most of us, you would think, well, right. what kind of, qu- this is no question at all, right. but this film does such a great job of showing you the bounds, the way these women are bound right. and how difficult it is for them to even consider the idea of not accepting. Right. That's the, that's, that's the kind of thing that if you're not part of that community, I, I speak as someone who was a Mormon once, um, that sometimes it's hard for people outside the community to understand when when people talk about their faith and how hard it is to leave that community that colony or that cult uh and because of your faith because what you believe i mean it it's it's real it's there it's hard for someone to understand uh who's not part of it but it is something that you take into consideration and these women do um it's a beautiful movie i was really touched by it at some point got way too much that i almost turned to and said i need a break right uh not that it's horrible anything but it's just very intense very powerful in a way uh the performances are incredible i really really love the movie uh, I did too. I have nothing, nothing but great things to say about it. Oh, uh, the costumes are fantastic, dead on. Exactly yes. how they dressed them. Yeah, in a nice dress. Yeah. Um, and it was very well done because they all wear identical dresses. Um, but there's just enough of variation in the patterns of the dresses right. that it makes one, each woman seem very distinct. Um, and I just want to underline one thing, despite the heaviness of the topic, it is not a traumatizing film. It's not a depressing film. It's a film about the power of, of women's voices and the power of um, 
not to get all kumbaya, the power of sisterhood, the power right. of what happens when women do talk to each other without men around and, and how powerful that can become. Um, I so think, I just can't recommend it enough. No, I can't. And it, all all this time, I woke up thinking about it, and I'm still thinking about it. And the main message, the main thing in my head right now is like, what if we listen? What if we stop and right. listen to people? In this case, women. But what if we stop and listen to people in general and try to understand what they're going right. through? And give them the space. Yes. And the tools to articulate right. their their oppression, to articulate their... Um, right. Because that is why, I think, why Polly decided to make this an act of female imagination is to give these women an, um, an ar- articulateness that they probably wouldn't have had in right, real life. Right. Um, well, maybe they would have it if they had a chance to. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, they, yeah. Would, they wouldn't have had in real life because they're oppressed and illiterate. Right, exactly. Um, anyway, I think it. Uh, I, we both can't recommend it enough. Oh, my God. It's an amazing, amazing Women movie. talking. Uh, it's in limited release right now, but it will be out before Christmas or yeah. right around the week of Christmas. I think so, yeah. And uh, I know we're not, most of us are not going to movie theaters anymore, but catch it when you can because it's really, really good stuff. I agree. All right. So I think we're done. Yeah. So thank you for listening, kittens. Thank and you. And we'll be back next week with whatever, whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desk. Until then, love you, mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.